0: Uh, Philippians chapter 2, and once again, we're turning our attention to verse 1 through 11. Yes, we looked at this last week, but we really focused our attention last week on verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. Today, we're going to focus in on 5 through 8, and then next week, 9 through 11. But because this is one passage that's really intertwined together... Uh, We're going to uh, read verses 1 through 11 again. And why don't we stand uh, just as we read uh, the Word of God this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, the the content of this passage is even beyond our comprehension. It's beyond even what we could even imagine, Lord, that you would leave your place of glory, you would leave your place of majesty, that you would humble yourself uh, to be born in the likeness of men and, and humble yourself even to the point of death upon a cross, Lord, that you would help us to, to, to just get a glimpse of your glory today, to just have a glimpse of the truth that's contained in this passage And that you would speak to each one of our hearts and that we would live in light of of your truth, of the truth, of of your revelation, of, of your glory each and every single day. Lord, that this truth would be pressed so deeply within our hearts that it would change us. God, that it would make us to be the people you've called us to be. God, we fall so short so often. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, uh, this passage we have today in, in, in contained in this passage, expressed in this passage, is the central Christian doctrine. What, what we have here is, is what is absolutely uh, central to the Christian faith. If, if you rip out this truth contained here in this passage out of, from Christianity. You don't have Christianity at all. In fact, you you really have nothing. This is the the central Christian doctrine, and it it is expressed here in this passage, and it's expressed many places in the New Testament, but in this passage, it is most powerfully and succinctly expressed. In in fact, the, the the idea that Paul could express such a vast array of, of theological truth in so few words is astonishing. And once again, it, it, to me, it just underscores the fact that he truly was inspired of the Holy Spirit as he penned these words. And of course, the central Christian doctrine that I'm talking about this morning is the Incarnation. The Incarnation. This is the single most important doctrine of the Christian faith. And it wasn't uh, just invented by Hallmark to sell Christmas cards. You know, we we really often only think about the incarnation around Christmas time. You know, we think about Jesus being born and being born in a manger and all the shepherds and the angels and, and all of that wonderful Christmas scene. But again, it wasn't Hallmark that came up with this idea. It wasn't invented by the, the tourist department at Bethlehem to increase tourism. No, this, this is the central Christian doctrine. And in fact, it was in the mind of God before he even created the world. It is the single most important Christian doctrine. And it answers the single most important question in life. And that question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus. Now, you may think that there are more important questions or more pressing questions. Questions of how are we going to deal with this issue? How are we going to deal with that issue? And, and what, how am I going to make, get out of this mess that I've put my life into? You may think that there are more important and more pressing questions. But let me assure you, there is no greater question than this question, Who is Jesus? Because no other question, how you answer this question, no other question affects your life more profoundly and more significantly than this one. And not only how you live your life today, but also for all eternity. How you answer this question defines who you are, defines how you live, defines how you see reality itself, And it defines the eternal destination of your soul. Who is Jesus? This is the question of all questions. And it's answered beautifully here in this passage for us today. And so who is Jesus? Jesus is God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God from eternity past. The second person of the Godhead existed for all eternity, he says, in verse 6. Who was in the form of God? Jesus, in the form of God, existing for all eternity as God. By his very nature, Jesus is God. He could not be more clear here. He could not be more definite here. He doesn't leave any ambiguity or any uh, gray area here. Paul, the apostle, declares to us with with astonishing clarity that Jesus Christ is God. And it's not only here that the apostle describes this. In Colossians chapter 1, he says this of Jesus. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created. Who is Jesus? He is God, the creator of all things. He created all things in heaven and on earth, all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is not only the creator of all things, he is the sustainer of all things. He himself holds all things together reality itself is held together by Jesus Christ. You right now are held together by Jesus Christ. And not only did he create all things, or were all things created through him, but they were created for him. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. But it's not only Paul the apostle that makes this claim. All of the gospel writers make this claim, but John the Apostle, uh, in his opening letter to, to his Gospel of John, writes it as well. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that is Jesus, the Word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John the apostle declares to us that Jesus, the word, the eternal word existed in eternity past with God the Father, and himself is God, the second person of the Godhead. Jesus, who is Jesus? According to Paul, Jesus is God. According to the Apostle John, Jesus is God. In John twenty twenty eight, Thomas, another apostle. We all know Thomas as what? Doubting Thomas. Because Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to his disciples the first time. And and the disciples tell tell Thomas, you missed it. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He's alive forevermore. He conquered death. It was amazing. He appeared to us. He presented himself to us. And Thomas says, you guys have lost your marbles. What have you guys been smoking? I don't believe you that was what Thomas said I don't believe you and Thomas said unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands I will not believe a few days later Jesus appears to all of them again and Thomas is there with him and Jesus comes and he says he he stretches out his hands to Thomas and he says Thomas do you believe And Thomas falls at his knees and he answers, he declares this to Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Hebrews 1, 3, the writer of Hebrews says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The writer of Hebrews declares to us that Jesus is God. What about Jesus? What did he say about himself? Well, John 8, 58, Jesus declares, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus declares that he is not just any God, but that he is the God of Israel, that he is the God of the Old Testament, that he is the great I am that he was the one who called Abraham out uh, of his land to, to walk into the land of Canaan, that he himself was the one who came and wrestled with Jacob, that he himself was the one in the burning bush who called out unto Moses, that he himself was the one who parted the Red Sea. Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. He declares that he is the one from the beginning, from eternity past, I am that I am. In John 17, 5, Jesus praying to the Father, he says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus existed from eternity past with the Father in the presence of the Father this great mystery, the, 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 the doctrine of, of the Father, Son, and Spirit, it, it's almost impo- it is impossible for us to comprehend with our natural mind. It is not impossible for us to believe, though. Amen. And this second person of the Godhead came as Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, He says glorify me as he's heading to the cross. He says glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This glory is beyond our comprehension. The glory that Christ shared with the father in heaven is beyond our imagination. It's brighter than a thousand suns. It it, it's so, his glory is so radiant that it tells us in the book of Revelation that when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on earth that there will be no more sun that what will illuminate all the earth that what will illuminate his kingdom will be his own glory his own glory that there will be no more night, that there will be no more darkness anymore because Christ's glory will illuminate the entire universe. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. The gospel writers declare this. The apostle Paul declares this, the writer of Hebrews declares this, Jesus himself declares that he is God. Now there is no shortage of people today who would have us believe that Jesus was somehow less than God. If you attend a public university, unfortunately, even many Christian universities today, they will tell you that, well, Jesus was a good teacher he had some good things to say about life. You know, love your neighbor, serve one another, feed the poor, take care of the outcast. All of He was a good teacher. Jesus taught some good things. They reduced Jesus to some sort of fortune cookie spitting guru. He was a good teacher. Others will say, well, Jesus was the great example. He, he's, he showed us the way. He, he showed us a way to, to live life. There are others who will say, well, Jesus was a prophet. They elevate Jesus above teacher and example. Islam is one of the religions that holds to the fact that Jesus was a prophet. But you must realize that whatever the, wherever those ideas come from, that Jesus is a teacher, an example, a prophet, but not God, those ideas do not come from Scripture. Those ideas are completely foreign to the Bible. And so you, if you're going to align yourself with the Word of God, if you're going to believe what Paul taught, if you're going to believe what the Gospels say, if you're going to believe what Jesus himself said about himself, you must rid yourself of the idea that Jesus is simply a good teacher. Was he a good teacher? Yes, of course. But he was more than a teacher. You must rid yourself of the idea that Jesus is merely a good example to follow. Jesus is not simply a way to live life. Jesus himself said that he is the way. Not just the way to live, but the way, period. More than an example and more than a prophet. Was he a prophet? Absolutely, he was a prophet. The greatest prophet to ever walk the the planet, but he was infinitely more. Infinitely more. Jesus is God, fully and truly God. To quote the Nicene Creed, God from God, light from light. Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. And he is God. Now that is a a, a, a fundamental truth to the Christian faith. If you try to have the Christian faith without this foundational truth, you have no Christianity. Christianity. The implications for this are immense. well Paul is rooting this here in in how we relate to one another is what he's talking about and and that's what makes this this next statement so astonishing so I, I would say uh, uh, just impossible to comprehend and it's it's this next statement in verse six where It says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. Though he existed in exalted glory in a place of honor and majesty on a throne with with the hosts of heaven worshiping him, adoring him, as he existed as the sovereign ruler over all creation, with his divine rights as a creator, he chose not to cling to those divine rights. He chose not to grasp onto, he chose not to hold onto that glory. He, told, he chose not to hold onto that honor. He chose not to hold on to that majesty. He chose not to cling to them, to grasp onto them and to use them for himself or his own personal advantage. For, for us to even begin to comprehend this, we just have to think about how much we enjoy when we receive a compliment. Don't you enjoy receiving a compliment? Don't you enjoy it receiving, we'll put it another way, praise. When you do something and someone sees it, they notice it, and they 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 say, hey, that was a great job. Hey, wonderful, thank you for hey, hey, or how about this? Hey, you look, you look nice today. Maybe you've never heard that before, uh, but great, I've, I've heard it too. Thank you. I've heard it two or three times in my life, but, but, but have, have you, don't you love that? And, and, and we're talking about just the, the smallest, the most insignificant of praise. It, it'll change your whole outlook for the rest of the day. You'll, you'll ride on that for a good month. But, but Jesus lived in, 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 in exalted glory 24-7. Praise is being offered to him, worship being offered to him as God, as creator. But he, he surrendered it. He, he chose not to hold on to it. He, told, he chose not to, to grasp it for selfish gain or to use for his own advantage. Instead, he laid it down. He surrendered his glory. He surrendered his rights. But notice something. It's, it's very, we must be very careful here. He never once surrendered his deity. He never once ceased to be God. He was God in eternity past. He was God when he walked the earth, demonstrated by how he lived his life. And he is God now seated on the throne and ruling. From everlasting to everlasting, Jesus is God. That's why the the prophet and the angels declared, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word was made flesh. Jesus did not lose anything when he became man. Instead, he added to his divinity Humanity. Jesus is the God man. Yet he chose not to hold on to his rights, his glory, and his majesty. It's astonishing. It's beyond comprehension. He did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, to be held on to. But, verse 7, he made himself. Nothing. He made himself nothing. what, What does this mean? What is this making himself nothing? In other passages or other translations, it will say things like he emptied himself. Well, it defines what this means by the next few statements. He made himself nothing by taking the form of a slave. He made himself nothing, secondly, by being born in the likeness of men. He took the form of a slave. A slave to what? He made himself a slave to the will of the Father. He made himself a slave to the Father's will. You'll recall the night before Jesus went to the cross, he was was praying, he was interceding in the garden of Gethsemane. He was looking forward to the cross. He he knew that his hour had come. He knew that the the reason for his coming was upon him. He he looked and and he saw the horrors of the cross. But more than just the physical pain, he, he saw that the sin of the world would be laid upon him that he would endure the wrath of God upon the cross. And he prayed, he said, Father, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. It says he prayed so earnestly and he, he was in such a, a brokenness of spirit as he interceded on that night that he began to sweat blood, drops of blood from his forehead. The Bible says that the father sent angels who came and and ministered to him in that moment. But in the garden of Gethsemane, he, he said, let this cup pass from me. But he also said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus surrendered himself to the will of the father. He he took upon himself, he he made himself nothing by taking on the form of a servant or the form of a slave, one who had no rights. Though Jesus had every right, he took on the form of one who had no rights. He lived without those rights. He humbled himself, he, he made himself nothing by being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form. Jesus veiled his glory in human flesh. He he was born in the most humble of places, to the most humble of people, in the most humble of circumstances. The, The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His cradle was a stable, his birthplace was a barn, his family was in poverty. He subjected himself to the, the humiliation of growing up as a person. He subjected himself to the humiliation of adolescence. You remember what that was like? Remember how awkward and weird you were? I was anyway. I've got some pictures that, I mean, I've, I've tried to hide and burn. I mean, they are just unreal. Jesus went through that. He he, he went through the humiliation of of, of him who sustains all things by the word of his power, having to be cared for, having to be nursed, having to have his diaper changed. The humility and humiliation of Christ. But he did it in verse Hebrews chapter 4:15. It tells us that now we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. In, in Greek, uh, they use double negatives to, to emphasize things. And so it's translated into our Hebrew, or into our uh, English language, with, with a double negative. And we're taught not to do that in English, but they use that in Greek, to emphasize things. And so Jesus now is our great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he was tempted in every respect as we are, but without sin. Jesus fully understands the human experience. He understands hurt. He understands pain. He understands being tired, being weary. He understands heartbreak and betrayal. Jesus understands. We have a high priest who is there for us, who can sympathize with us in our weakness and in our infirmities. And so why did he do this? Why did he leave heaven? Why did he not grasp onto uh, the glory? Well, why did he make himself nothing, becoming a slave, being born in the likeness of men? And, and notice that each one of these steps, Christ is stooping lower, being found in human form. He, he humbled himself even more, being obedient to the point of death. Even the death of, On a cross. Why did he do all of this? Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? He came for one reason and for one purpose to die on Calvary's cross, to die a death, to pay the price for sin, to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. He came to lay down his life to redeem those who had rebelled against him. To pay the price of sin that was committed against him and against his righteous law, he came to redeem us. Amen. All the glories and the riches of Christ, our minds can't even begin to comprehend these realities. Jesus in eternity radiates with the glory of a billion suns, and he's born in a manger. He humbles himself. Who does that? Who does that? Who humbles themselves to this degree? Who leaves all of that behind? Who sacrifices so much to come to a people who would not receive him? To come to a people who would reject him? To reject him so forcefully, fully, and violently that they nailed him to a cross? He came to humanity and presented himself as our King and our Savior. And as uh, Isaiah 53 says, we esteemed him not. We did not receive him, but humanity rejected him and put him on a cross. The most wretched of deaths. Never in all of human history has there been invented such a a more brutal, barbaric, uh, obscene, and, and and excruciating form and punishment of death as the cross. In fact, in polite Roman culture, you wouldn't even mention the cross. It was so obscene. He came from glory to go to the cross. He forsakes all of his glory, all of his honor, all of his power. To wear a crown of thorns, to bear a cross of shame, and to die this most wretched of deaths. We think, what could compel such a person to do such a thing? Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What was he compelled by? He was compelled by love. Love first and foremost for the Father and to do his will and love for us, his people that he came to redeem. Jesus demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You have to understand this. This is the gospel This is the gospel. We do not clean ourselves up to come to God. We we do not make ourselves acceptable before God and in his sight. The Bible says that all of us in our our rebellion against God, even our works of righteousness to God our self-righteousness and are as filthy rags to God. We do not clean ourselves up. We come to Jesus broken. We come to Jesus filled with sin and iniquity. And he washes us clean. He gives us grace and mercy. That is the gospel. We we do not earn our salvation. Our salvation has been earned for us. We do not earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is given as a free gift of grace. And so the question is, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? Jesus. To know him is to love him. To love him is to serve him. And then to Paul's point, to serve him is to serve others in his name. You know, when we first hear the gospel, when we first come to Christ, often we come with this idea that that Jesus is going to serve us. We hear the gospel, we hear how he, he left heaven, how he came to earth, how he lived a life without sin, how he went to the cross and, and shed his blood and, and redeemed us, paid the price for sin, and, and now we can receive salvation through him. And we read about how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We read about how Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so when we come to Christ, we come with the idea that he serves us. And, and well enough, he does. He serves us. He, he serves us. We, we look at the, the story in John chapter 13 of, of when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He, he, he serves us. He is the ultimate servant. But take note, he does not serve us because he is less than or inferior to us in any way. He serves us out of his great humility. He serves us because he is the most humble person to ever exist. He serves us because he loves us. And when you realize this, when you see this, when you truly understand this, When you realize who it is who has served you, you have the same revelation that Peter had when Jesus was going around and washing the disciples' feet. And and he said, Lord, you're going to wash me. Lord, you're going to serve me. How how is this possible? When when you realize who it is that has served you, the only logical response is for you to fall down at his feet in worship, In adoration, realizing that it's you who should be serving Him. You who should be living for Him. Living every moment of your life in faithful service unto Him. And yes, even if need be to lay down your life in the service of His kingdom. It is a great honor and a great privilege to serve Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is a a step along the Christian life, a, a, a mile marker of maturity when you realize I must serve Christ. It's not just that he is my savior, he has served me, yes, but he is my Lord and now I must serve him this is how you and I are called to live in radical submission to Christ to obey him to follow him to serve him no matter what the cost and whatever sacrifice we must make to follow Christ and there will be a sacrifice Jesus says you must count the cost before you serve him There there is a price to following Jesus. Salvation is a free gift. You receive it. You don't pay for it. You receive salvation. You receive regeneration. You receive forgiveness of sins. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. But to live out your life in service of Christ, to follow Jesus, it will cost you. It will cost you. It will cost you relationships. It will cost you monetarily in this life you will pay a price to follow Christ and so whatever sacrifice we must make to follow him we have to always remember it cannot be compared to the sacrifice Christ made to serve us no one has ever humbled himself as Christ did And so back to Paul's point of serving others, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Whoever Christ calls us to serve, we will never stoop as low as Jesus stooped to serve us. There should ever be anything in our life that is beneath us. No one has ever humbled himself as Christ humbled himself. No one has ever stooped so low as Christ did. And the reason that he stooped so low was to lift us up with him. He he came down to save us. He came down. He bended over like a strong man who bends over to lift some heavy weight and some heavy burden. And he has lifted us up. He came down to pull us out of our sin, out of our shame, out of our brokenness. The writer of Psalms says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay and has set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul writes in Ephesians that we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we are the benefactors, the recipients of every spiritual blessing in Christ. Who is Jesus? This is the most important question that you will ever be asked and that you will ever answer. Jesus asked this question, this question to his disciples one day. He came to them and first he said, who do, the, who do people say that I am? Who do the crowd say that I am? Who do, who, what's the, the sort of popular opinion about me today? And they rehearsed to them who the crowd said that Jesus was. Some say you're Elijah the prophet, and some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And Jesus then turned the question and, 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 poised and, and, and asked it of his disciples. And he said, "Who do you say that I am?" Listen, there's no lack of opinion in the world, in the crowd today on who Jesus is. There's no lack of opinion. And that's not a new thing. It was the same way in Jesus' day. But then the question is asked of us, not not in a collective way as part of the crowd, but as an individual way. Who do you say that he is? And Peter speaks up in that moment and he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. You are the one that the Old Testament prophets told us about. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looked at Peter and pronounced a blessing on that confession. He said, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Who is Jesus? Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. But he is also the Son of God. Jesus is God. How you answer this question will determine everything about you. Will determine everything about your life. Because if Jesus is God, he must be served. There's no... There's no having Jesus as Savior without having him as Lord. You you cannot separate those two things. There are many people today who try to have this idea that Jesus is my Savior, but they do not live for Jesus as their Lord. There's a disconnect in there somewhere if Jesus is who the scriptures declare him to be, if Jesus is who he himself declared us to be, there is no other way to live our lives than in willing submission to him. Jesus himself taught that. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is God. Jesus is savior. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. next week we're going to pick up in verse 11 not verse 11 verse 9 where it says therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name how do you answer that question how do you answer that question I've shown you how Paul answered that question I've showed you how John answered that question. I've showed you how Peter answered that question. I've showed you how Thomas and the writer of Hebrews answered that question. I've shown you how Jesus himself answered that question. How do you answer that question? How you answer that question will not only determine the course of this life, but where you spend all eternity. I invite you to stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these realities. For the reality of Christ and him humbling himself. God, it is beyond our comprehension. We could spend the rest of our lives trying to come up with a better thought, a better idea, and we would never even come close to the idea of the incarnation, to the idea of the humility and humiliation of Christ. But Lord, we thank you as as willing recipients of this glorious good news. We thank you, Lord, as we see that he came to lay down his life. He, He left it all behind to rescue us from ourselves, from our sin, from our shame to lay down his life to redeem our lives to exchange his riches for our poverty so that we in him could have his riches God I thank you today that we are now a new creation Through faith in your son, Jesus, our old life of sin and shame has been done away. We have a new life, eternal life, the life of your son, Jesus, living in us and through us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.